from the center of the universe and the home of your Grey Cup champion, Toronto Argonauts. It's the X's and Argos podcast. Welcome to the X's and Argos pregame walkthrough brought to you by Something in the Water Brewing. My name is Ben Grant. He's JB. We've got a huge show for you coming off a of bye week. A lot of news to get to and all of our usual stuff, including the practice report, injury update, game preview, OCDC, one thing, predictions, put me down for 20, CFL picks. Our news and notes are going to include a Ryan Dinwiddie extension, Sam Achampong trade, and of course, McLeod Bethel Thompson rumors that are floating around right now. All that and more coming up on this episode of the X's and Argos podcast. JB, this is a really exciting day for us because finally, after much anticipation after enjoying the secret tap that has been up at Something in the Water Brewing. Cans of Longboat Pale Ale are finally available. And if you're watching on YouTube, I'll put that up on the screen for you. Uh, I went down there today, picked up uh, some cans, and it is a, it's a gorgeous design. We already know what the beer tastes like, and it's, it's a fantastic beer. But you've got, you've got Colonel Troutman wearing the blue helmet, which is pretty awesome. X's and O's that cover the, the can. It is a fine looking can of beer. And so those are available now for you. The beer that is dedicated to fans of the double blue, it even says that on, on the back of the can we're raising a pint to fans of the double blue not just raising one we're creating it and that's that's exactly what this is a beer that is made for fans of the double blue and that is you go and pick up some longbow pale ale at something in the water brewing located in liberty village jb let's get into our lead story which is the ryan dinwiddie contract extension this uh, this is a huge i think for toronto this was the last year you know he's going to the last year of of his his deal uh what's it why do people get so paranoid about that why don't teams let that last year of the deal um go through why is it so crucial to get an extension done before you get too far into that final season i it probably varies by uh by organization i think in in general uh teams are are happy to to not have to worry about uh, free agency with the coach, especially the coach is doing really well and then using leverage um, against you and increasing your your salary that you're going to have to pay. But I think for the most part, organizations want teams to know that the coach is going to be there long-term. I think it's important for a coach's legitimacy within the room. And it just makes sense organizationally to, to be one you know, one cohesive unit. So anytime you believe in a coach, you want to lock them up so that when coach talks to players, they know that he is talking as someone who is going to be there for a couple of years and not somebody that they just have to wait until there's a new coach. I've got some stats for you. One of them is courtesy of Marcus Nielsen. Uh, and he uh, said that uh, according to his numbers, that Coach Dinwiddie has the highest winning percentage of any Argos head coach since the CFL came into existence, which is a, a pretty phenomenal thing. So we started looking up how he ranks against current CFL coaches, and I'm going to give them to you in order uh, from highest winning percentage to lowest. So right up at the very top, I, I for you know, I'm not thinking about it. Of course, when I think about it, this all makes sense. I was thinking we'd see Mike O'Shea there, but it was a slow start for O'Shea. It took a few years for him to get going in Winnipeg. Dave Dickinson is actually at the top 78, 37. 
uh, as is, is his record. One great cup. So that's a 678 winning percentage. Uh, Coach Dinwiddie right behind him, 658 winning percentage. And then Mike O'Shea at 596. Now he has two great cups. That's the most of any current CFL head coach. And then after that, it's Orlando Steinauer, 583. Craig Dickinson, 561. Jason Moss at 561 as well. None of those three guys have a great cup, of course. Chris Jones at 488 uh, does have a great cup. Rick Campbell at 461 also has a great cup. And then Bob Dice, uh, it's 308, but it's only a, a four and nine record. And he's been in a, a couple of uh, tough situations, <laughs> uh, including last week. So uh, that's how that breaks down. But look at these numbers here, given that Coach Dinwiddie has been in the league. This is his third season as a head coach. In his first two seasons, he wins the division both times. He gets to a Grey Cup and wins a Grey Cup and has the second highest winning percentage of all active CFL head coaches. JB, should he be the highest paid coach in the CFL? Um, yes, I, I, I think so. How, um, now, how do you justify paying him more than Michael Shea? Well, I mean, there's always that, those conversations around, you know, who who has who has done the most or who does the most with the most talent. I, I mean, I think he and O'Shea are one too. Um, I have to say, I've been continually impressed with Dinwiddie. Now he has been, you know, he has been given very good squads. You and I have been really clear about the talent that's on the teams in the last couple of years. Um, however. He he has absolutely made me a believer in terms of his ability to coach high level talent, which is not a skill that every coach has, and um, to to do it successfully, um, to do it with uh, not necessarily the entire world looking, but you're still Toronto, you're still the largest city in the CFL. And so there is some pressure that comes to that. And certainly people want to see the CFL do well. And certainly MLSE, which is a, uh, you know, monolith, wants to see the Argos do well. So there's pressure there. And he has handled that pressure really well. And the Argos have been, um, you know, really a fantastic team to watch under him. And he has addressed some areas that we've looked at that we thought weren't that great. And he obviously agreed and has addressed different aspects of it. And, you know, he's really been uh, a joy to watch as a coach because, you know, other than the occasional backseat, you know, difference in opinion, um, it's it's hard to argue that he has not been the best coach in the CFL. He's an excellent head coach. And I think that not everyone is on board with that. There's still a lot of people. Anytime I talk about him on social media, there are people that are like, no, he's terrible. He's lucky. He's, you know, and, and it, that it drives me up the wall. But the reason for that is people see a few isolated game management mistakes that he had made in his first two seasons. And he did. He made some terrible game management decisions in the first two years. I don't think he's made any this year. He's made some decisions where like, well, I probably, I wouldn't have punted here or whatever, but those are small uh, differences of opinion. 
what makes him such uh, I, I think you would throw most of those out most of those were learning curve he was getting and you look at a lot of them he's corrected too like he was two of 14 in challenges last season which was dreadful he hasn't challenged a single play this year <laughs> yes, so I'm not, I'm not i'm not entirely sure he has permission to challenge but <laughs> whatever sure, we'll, he's fixed we'll give it. that to him yeah like they he fixed that problem whatever it was like he's he's not making that mistake anymore he's just not not doing it unless the game is on the line i think you won't see him challenge much uh, which is growth. And so the stuff that he does do extremely well, he manages players brilliantly. Uh, I think he is terrific on the practice field. He's terrific in terms of game prep and and game um, game planning. Uh, I really like his play designs and his play calling. And he gets the guys ready every week. It is very rare over his two and a bit seasons in Toronto that you'll see a Toronto team come in not ready for the opposition. It just doesn't really happen. And that's tough in a long CFL season. I do think, too, although he's clearly a football guy and has spent his life in football, um, that some coaches exude different energies, you know, especially offensive coaches tend to be a little more cerebral about ball as opposed to the all, you know, the old ball coach. And, you know, O'Shea, who looks like he came from cleaning his garage and looks like he might have a cool beer waiting for him at any point, exudes a kind of old school, you know, he's, he's like a Texas high school football coach. He has this sort of energy. And I think that a lot of times people respond to that um, as a coach, as opposed to uh, a more kind of offensive um, vibe. That sometimes you you have, which you know, which I think is incorrect, but I I do think is a factor. And sometimes guys get jobs just because they seem like coaches, and they're terrible. Um, I think that happens more often than not. In fact, so I'm I I, I do think some of that is where Dinwiddie fights uphill a little bit. Is that he doesn't look like he just put in some chew. <laughs> he doesn't he doesn't no. uh, but yeah so i get that and guys like football coaches and but you know he he is very good at his job there is no doubt about that yeah he's extremely smart uh gets what he's doing but really gets that i think he really gets that player management part of it and and i think that you know his his players love playing for him too and you see them respond he knows like the the thing like we've been able to see like attending uh, practices and stuff we've been able to see when he snaps he immediately has the respect of the players and they're immediately in line he doesn't do it often but no, whenever that's the he key, does right? yeah no he he doesn't i think he and he knows what he's talking about right there's credibility you know, that, there. Especially defensive players. You don't have to, I mean, for, you know, having watched football for a long time and read different things, you don't, you don't have to know defense to get the respect of defensive players. If you're an offensive coach, if the offense is going well, then the defense will respect you because you know what you're doing. You are running your part of the team correctly. And if you do that, you're, you have more currency to to be the head coach you know and so i think that that is the case is they see how well uh, mcleod did last year they see how well chad keller is being brought along and you know therefore the respect level for him and his ability to snap on the team uh, only increases the toronto argonauts traded 
2020 second round draft pick Sam Atchampong, defensive tackle to the Edmonton Elks and in exchange for a fifth round draft pick in 2024 and also the rights to one of Edmonton's negotiation list players, Xavier Gibson. Uh, let's talk a little bit about that trade. Uh, first of all, it wasn't that surprising that we saw Achimpong go, not because he wasn't playing well, but just because there was just so many guys. We saw him as a healthy scratch in the Argos' first game of the season. We saw at that same positional group, you saw Sean Oakman and, and Brinkman as healthy scratches as well. There's just so many guys here. And so uh, you, the writing was sort of on the wall once you saw that that healthy scratch in, in their first game. And so... Uh, this is the best of all worlds. Edmonton really needed a defensive tackle. They needed help. Uh, Sam Achimpong is uh, looking for playing time, and he obviously deserves to be playing. He's he's a CFL caliber talent, and the Argos can get something out of it too because they weren't really using him. So I think everybody wins on this trade, trade right? Yeah, I think it's a great trade. Um, they, you know, like in terms of adding... Um, the potential for for a game breaker who who wouldn't really be somebody that Edmonton would need. Um, Coach Jones knows what he's getting. He's going to a system he already knows. Um, you know, he's just the extra man out. I wouldn't be surprised to see a secondary trade uh, in the near future too, just because it's a crowded room and what you know when you're doing asset management, sometimes you gotta sometimes you gotta deal from your strength. Um, so I, I like the trade and I like it for Achimpong. And of course, now he's going to get to be able to, to play a lot more. So win-win for me. Let's talk a little bit about Xavier Gibson, who the Argos have the rights to negotiate with. So he's currently on the New York Jets roster. In watching some film from him, so he's he comes from a small school, SF Austin, uh, wonderful, wonderful punt returner. He's got that sort of electric change of direction. He still runs a 4-4, but it's it's his change of direction that really caught my eye. He actually, I think he ran a 6-8-8 three-cone, which is, is good, but I actually expected it to be even better just the way you watch him uh, cut back and forth on, on the football field. But yeah, wonderful part returner and a guy that you could really see excelling in the CFL. I don't, I don't expect him to have a long NFL career. I think there's too much bias with regards to size. He's five foot nine, uh, maybe. And I, I just don't think he's going to stick around there and will end up in the CFL at some point. So I think the Argos in this trade added someone that could be a real weapon for them down the road. Maybe it's maybe it's later this year. More likely it would be next season. Um, but yeah, Xavier Gibson, I think you'll see him at some point uh, playing for the double blue. Yeah, you look at guys the Argos added late last year, you know, you can add real game changing talent later in the season. Yeah, look at like look at Brinkman, for example, who came in late last season. Yeah, is playing in the Grey Cup and is a difference maker in the Grey yeah, Cup. Yeah, absolutely. And when Hunter came in, yeah, exactly, and that's and that was uh, that and that's a draft pick that's finally coming through, right? That you're waiting around for. So negotiationless player is very similar to drafting a guy that you know is going to be in in the NFL for a bit. Eventually, might make his way up here. It's yeah, you're you're it, the CFL is so strange that way where you're playing several years down the road sometimes right that's that's what this deal was but yeah it looks like a good looks like a really good trade uh to me and i wish sam all the best he's been great with us and just a, a really neat guy and so you you wish nothing but the best for him yeah and i'm sure Edmonton. he'll do really well like coach jones knows him and obviously wants him so that's a great location for him to go McLeod Bethel-Thompson is back in the news and if he's in the news we got to talk about him people are asking questions so 
Uh, this started becoming a real topic when Jeremiah Masoli went down last week in the game against Hamilton, and people immediately started talking about McLeod Bethel Thompson as a potential replacement in Ottawa. And then to almost add fuel to the fire, the New Orleans Breakers released McLeod Bethel Thompson from his contract. Uh, what do you make of this? Smoke, fire, nothing at all? How do you see it? Um, well, at, at, at the risk of, of getting burned tomorrow when he signs, uh, I'm going to say nothing at all. Um, we've, we've talked about how he's interested in, in trying out for NFL camps. This is just a step that has to happen. I can't imagine that the Ottawa job appeals to him. Um, you know, join, joining a team that has a really good shot at the Grey Cup. I could see that, whether it be in BC or uh, or Winnipeg or or the Argos. Um, but other than that, I can't imagine that he wants to come and run around the field while people chase him for Ottawa. Yeah, I think they, again, like, I'm sure we're both totally jinxing this. This has happened to us before where we're like, there's no way this is happening. And then as soon as we finish our podcast, news breaks that, in fact, that did happen. Uh, so, yeah, at the risk of of um, uh, of Murphy's Law uh, coming to effect here, McLeod Bethel-Thompson is in the situation he's in, like you said, for that NFL shot. That And coming to the CFL kills that. Because in a CFL contract, you're 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 then stuck through the year. Stuck's the wrong word, but you're committed for the year. And so, if he's looking at it this year, and I really believe he is, I think he's going to hold on to the absolute last minute. I I personally don't think we're going to see him in the CFL, but if we do, it'll be after NFL camps are all done, after cuts have been made in NFL camps. It'll be September, basically, when regular season games start to get underway. And if he hasn't seen a sniff of anything at that point then at that point, maybe he would open it up. But even then, like you said, like, why would he come, why would he come up to, uh, to a situation where uh, he's likely not going to the playoffs or isn't in a situation to win a Grey Cup? I think it's different if we're talking BC, Winnipeg, Toronto. I could see him coming back to the league for something like that, but I just don't expect him here. I think the release by the Breakers is more NFL related so he can start talking to those teams. And he does still have, he's still got relationships there. Remember, he did he did bounce around. He's got people he knows uh, on a number of different teams, I'm sure. And so I would expect that that's entirely what this is about, not that he's going to be an Ottawa Red Black tomorrow. Let's, let's talk a little bit about practice. Uh, this this has been, and as focused as the Argos can be, and usually are at practice, this week at practice has been rough. And I could see it, I could see it Monday, because two buys in the first five weeks of the season is just unreasonable. You you know, we we both coached through bye weeks. Um, they're they're brutal. It's it's one of the worst times for you. It's it's great in terms of planning and getting things done, advanced uh, scouting, stuff like that. That's that's great. But trying to get just you get so tired of covering and, and hitting and going up against the same guys without a game. Um, there's nothing worse, in my opinion, than than bi week practices. And two of them is just deadly. Yeah, it, we, the schedule is not a good schedule for the Argos. They were they came up a bit short in, in a couple of different ways with, you know, the long stretch of <laughs> the endless summer road trip. And and the, uh, you know, the early buys, even the next one is is early. It, it's not a great schedule. It, it's going to be one of the challenges they're going to have to overcome 
especially come injuries, you know, it's just badly timed and, and for sure you, you don't have the level of focus when you're not preparing to play an opponent and you're just basically doing generic football. It just, it just doesn't work. Uh, so one of the, uh, you know, one of the reasons coaches wouldn't want early buys. So it, it definitely is, is a challenge to keep, to keep the team sharp and not have a whole week kind of be wasted. And Monday was Monday was a, a recipe for disaster. I, I felt like uh, it couldn't have been worse, and it eventually got better. And, and of course, the week of practice, things improved. But yeah, you come in Monday, and for early outs, you know, guys are are pretty stiff and and getting out onto the the football field. And just where Lamport Stadium is, where they practice, there's all sorts of like every manner of distraction from from uh, police sirens and fire trucks going by to you've got you've got buildings with balconies overlooking the field and I, i'm telling you without going into all the details here there was every manner of distraction going on on monday and it was just the last thing the team needed and a bunch of positional coaches snapped at guys and in, in early outs and were um getting them into uh you know getting them to focus and and it was tough and eventually uh, everyone clicked in and by the time they by the time they by the time they got to uh, sort of the walkthrough portion everything was good but yeah just watching that it was just cringing and glad i wasn't the one out there coaching because i've i've lived that um but yeah by the time they got to the end of practice they're that typical uh, toronto practice machine so no concerns but uh, there were for a few minutes there injury update is weird this week because the Alouettes look like the team coming off the bye. They are they are healthy. They got two guys that are listed on their injury report, and they both went they both went full today, uh, and so uh, presumably be ready. Uh, Walter Fletcher, who was he wasn't even injured; he was just a healthy scratch. He went full, and then Siante Evans, uh, who had a leg injury, he went full today. Uh, of course, uh, the the DB uh, former Hamilton DB. Uh, the Argos are a little bit of a different story. It looked dicey earlier in the week, but as it often does, things did sort of uh, fix themselves by the time we got through to today's practice. So here's the situation. You've got three guys that have been ruled out. Isaiah Cage, a left tackle, who's still working to get back from that thigh injury. Uh, he's out. Uh, Eric Sutton, defensive back, is out uh, with a knee injury. Jordan Williams, still out with a knee injury. Uh, beyond that, uh, there were some close calls. It looked like, and we still don't know, but it looked like Peter Nicastro was a bit of a concern. He was limited for the first two days of practice with a head injury. He went full today, so assuming that he responds well, we'll expect to see him at, at center this weekend. Cam Phillips didn't practice at all Monday with a chest injury. That was a concern, but he practiced full each of the last two days. And Dylan Giffen, who I just thought would be out this week, like the way Dylan Giffen went down last game, it looked like it was going to be a long-term thing. He's actually been limited the last two days, so we'll have to see uh, what what that results in. But um, all in all, uh, promising. And then I think one of the most interesting things was on Monday, Robert Priester practiced full and actually looked really good. Now, they held him out each of the last two days. I don't know if that's because his ankle didn't respond the way that they wanted to or they're just being cautious, but that's the beautiful thing. And, and you talked about this earlier, like you can afford to keep guys out longer than you normally would need to. If you're in a situation like Edmonton, you're in a situation like Calgary, these guys are these guys are playing. You're forcing them in because you're like, look, we need you. We, we need to win these games here. The Argos have so much depth that Robert Priester could take a few weeks and be 100% before he comes back. And they, they could still decide to do that with Nicastro too. If they're, if they're not sure, they're at all on the fence about it, 
just, you know, sit them. It's fine. They've got guys, and even the, the O-line is starting to get a little thin, but they still are in a way better situation than every single team in the league. So I view this as a, as a great injury scenario for the Argos right now. All right, game preview, JB. Uh, how do you see this one? Is this is this deciding anything? Is this a huge divisional matchup? How do you read this coming in? Uh, no, I think it's fine. We talked about we want them to go three and two in this five game gap. Um, it's a road game in Montreal. Those are always really tough. Still, the first half of the season, so I'd I'd love to see them rack up another win before before things start to really get. A bit tough. I think anytime you come off a bye, you really want to win the week after your bye um, because, you know, that's just an advantage you have and we're running out of that advantage. So it's important, I think, to try and get this win as one of the three wins. Montreal's on a really short week, right? And that's where they have to take advantage. Like today was today was basically like day one of, of practice for them because of um, the fact that they played uh, Sunday night. And so Toronto coming off a bye, Montreal coming off like nothing, no, no prep, no rest. Um, to me, you've got to take advantage of that. And so being 4-0, if they can beat Montreal, and they would be in a situation where regardless of what else happens in the East, every other East team would be below 500. If you are 4-0 and the rest of your division is below 500, you are putting a tremendous amount of pressure on everybody else. And now you can afford to, now you can afford to drop a couple games in that really tough gauntlet that we've got coming up, uh, you know, starting in the fall where it just is, is madness and everybody, the Argos play is coming off a bye, et cetera, et cetera. And Argos are on short week after short week. Yeah, that's well, that's I mean, what you're building here. Agreed. You have, you're, you're coming off a bye. Montreal is coming back from British Columbia. I know Montreal is at home. But this is a game you you want to circle as a game you should win. It is time for OCDC. OCDC is brought to you by the Business Barbershop and Spa. And the Business Barbershop and Spa invites you to experience Etobicoke's premier licensed men's grooming lounge for hair, face, and body care, celebrating 10 years in the King's Way. If you book a service with the Business Barbershop and Spa, you will be entered into a draw to win a $200 gift card. You just have to mention Argo's All About the Business. And I just got to say, we've had terrific response from our listeners, uh, from our uh, title sponsor, Something in the Water. Guys have been tremendous with the Business Barbershop and Spa, people going down there to get haircuts, to get shaves, to get that sort of old school feel as well, uh, as well as some of the sort of modern spa service that they offer. Um, it's really cool to see our listeners support our sponsors the way they have. I, I, I couldn't be happier with that. And thank you for, for supporting our sponsors. And in this case, the sponsor of OCDC, the Business Barbershop and Spa, I couldn't recommend it more. I go there myself. I love it. I'm glad they're sponsoring this segment. Okay, let's get into it, JB. OCDC, let me start it out with, um, we'll start off with the bad guys, uh, Montreal Alouettes. So my offensive plan for Montreal... I just, I don't think Montreal stacks up that well person for person. I think you need a little bit of trickery here. I, you look at Montreal's receiving core up against Toronto's DBs. You look at Montreal's uh, O-line up against Toronto's D-line. There's just not a lot of battles that they win. 
Cody Fajardo's playing pretty well. He's making good decisions for the most part. I think you have to play a sort of slow ball. Try and keep the ball away from the Toronto Argonauts offense. You want to try and take up time. You're not in a hurry doing anything. They're going to have to use the run game. And there are a few little keys that I would personally target if I were the Montreal Alouettes. So number one. For the run, I want delayed runs. I want uh, not quick hitters. I want delayed runs. I want I want uh, running back draws because I want to try and catch Toronto in the midst of twists and loops, which they love to run. We know Coach Mace runs all sorts of trickery on defense. Try and catch the Argos out of position with those because if you're just running downhill straight at the Argos, you're not gonna you're not gonna win. It, it's just not gonna happen. And as good as Montreal's run game should be, uh, it just doesn't really match up well for. Uh, for for this week against the Argos, who are very good at stopping that style of run that Montreal offers. So that's what I want to see out of the running game. Out of the passing game, I want delayed action into the flats. Toronto plays a lot of cover four, but even when they're playing their cover three, their their flats defenders will cloud a long way downfield. They'll, they'll trail receivers on the outside a long ways. They will leave the flats uh, largely empty. And so if you can leak running backs out into the flats, uh, leave a receiver in to block and then leak him out into the flats or just have even run your, your flats routes against deep concepts to that side. I think you can generate a lot of space. It's not going to be 30, 40 yard plays, but those are going to turn into first down. So as a Montreal offense, those are my two points of focus this week in trying to manufacture points. JB, where are you going with the Alouette's defense? Well, BC had 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 my playbook correct until uh, till the quarterback decided to uh, to even things up. I think that you, if you're Montreal, uh, you're looking to stop the run. You're going to load that box. You're going to come with with you know run blitzes. You're going to force Kelly to try and move up and down the field with you. You've got a you know a pretty good secondary. Um, they they are turnover ready they they are good at intercepting the ball so you're fine with them putting the ball in the air i think when you're playing toronto you you're looking to stop the run and then you're hoping that your offense cannot light you on fire um because then it becomes very difficult to to stop toronto once it become um you know once once you you're not sure what they're going to do they can they can be uh, a problem to stop. So for me, I'm 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 focusing on the run in the first half and uh, uh, bringing you know as much as much pressure as I can on Kelly. You know, I, I want to I want to try and and get him out of his comfort zone. But Toronto's been very good at, at doing that. It's not been very easy to do. But uh, I think you start with that is 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 stop the run and uh, and uh, hope that uh, and and especially with stopping the run is be all over those running back leak outs, you know, uh, too many teams just give, <laughs> don't even seem to cover the running back out of the backfield. I mean, it, it drives me, I, I guess that's a bend, but don't break idea, but it drives me crazy when I see it. It just, they just let guys leak out of the backfield and they're like, Oh, I guess we'll get them when he catches it. Um, I'm all over that. No way. I'm giving them those free leak out passes. Switching over to the Toronto Argonauts for the Argos offense, this is uh, this was really tricky for me and and a lot of fun too. I had because we had this extra bye week time, uh, so it was great for us and probably great for the Argos coaching staff. Looking back through the last two games Montreal played, they played a very different game against Winnipeg than they did against BC. 
And in looking at what they did, and I'll just give you a quick quick version of how they were different. So against Winnipeg, uh, they didn't blitz a lot. When they did, it was generally uh, just Beverett who was blitzing and usually off the edge. And they would almost, they would line him up almost like a, a fifth lineman and sort of send him uh, crashing off the edge. Uh, but otherwise didn't blitz a ton. You saw a lot of cover one uh, and uh, then sort of like a mix of everything else. Against it, worked, BC, it worked really well. <laughs> it, well, they but it, it did for a little bit. Uh, and then the wheels sort of fell off. They were just outclassed in that game, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, but I don't think the plan was necessarily bad. Against BC, uh, they sent mostly middle heat. Uh, you were uh, blitzing the B gap, blitzing A gap. Uh, and they ran a lot of cover zero, which they didn't do at all against Winnipeg, which I thought was... Pretty risky, given that Montreal's receivers are are, are a pretty dangerous group. Uh, but yeah, they ran a lot of zero. They ran some inverted stuff, which was really cool. But it's mostly middle pressure, and their ends were just sort of containing, not allowing the the pocket to break down. But the guys going after the QB were coming from the middle, and they were coming from the linebacker level. So when I look at how they'll how they'll face Toronto with very little time to prep, I think you're going to get pretty much a rehashed Winnipeg game plan. I think you can not throw out the BC stuff, but I think most of the plays they're going to run this week aren't going to be new because there just isn't that kind of time. I don't think there's going to be a lot of new stuff. I think you're going to see a lot from that Winnipeg film. And so my game plan focuses on how to, how to attack that. So one thing that Montreal does that is, is kind of cool, but uh, exposes them a bit is uh, Ducroix, their, their safety, doesn't play like a traditional safety. They use them a lot underneath and they actually sort of invert coverage so they'll run cover three where typically in cover three you have the safety and then either the two halfbacks or the two corners or some variety of that but the safety is almost always involved um, they'll actually bring them down underneath and drop back two halfbacks in a corner or you know some uh some combination of that sometimes they drop murray back uh, as well the uh the strong side linebacker but uh, he'll also do that in cover one. They'll play like a cover one jump or a cover one robber uh, where he's actually um, looks like he's going to be deep and then comes flying in uh, sometimes as run support if he's coming early. But more often than not, it's to try and, and get those picks. And of course, one worked against BC, but it was it was kind of a, a weak pass interference penalty that changed that game entirely. Oh, but they will well, run stuff. But it was but a cool, like that play was a pretty cool design though, right? I mean, you talk about, I'm just going to rant here for yeah, a moment. Yeah, go, go. Um, yeah, I mean, any coach will talk about every football game is decided by three plays. And you can, after the game, you can point out the three plays that decided the football game. And that decided the football game. It absolutely, Montreal wins, I believe in every inch of me, Montreal wins that game if that pick six has counted. Um, for the CFL referees to call that pass interference when you simply have a guy stemming his route right into the DB and then the two of them kind of contact each other at the top of the route to call that holding or pass interference is outrageous. Um, it is, ab I, I couldn't believe the Montreal coaches didn't lose their minds. Uh, it was, it changed the game. It was a pick six. It would have absolutely Created so much more turmoil with Vernon Adams. Um, I know they kind of made up with it a little bit when, uh, you know, with some, uh, some uh, you know, some CFL Central calls later. But uh, I couldn't believe it. I could not believe. That's the second time I've seen that where the receiver is going into the chest of the DB and they're calling it 
um, you know, uh, you know, contact after five yards. I mean, you, if the receiver stems the route right into the DB, that can't be contact after five yards. I mean, surely to God, the referees understand that the contact has to be initiated by the DB. Um, and if they don't, then they desperately have to change it because you can't challenge it. Of course, that is contact. But come on, referees, you, you cannot allow wide receivers to create penalties on that kind of play um get it together i agree with you but if you'll let me get back to the Sorry. ocdc portion of ocdc <laughs> i will i'll continue yeah. on but right. yeah so that that de play uh he, they do that a lot uh they have him uh sort of playing that robber role a lot and i think the Argos can take advantage of that so their linebackers in the winnipeg game stay at home they don't they don't typically send the will will come but the the mac will stay there sometimes the sometimes the sam will be drifting around there too they're waiting to react to the run and so you can actually draw them in with play action but then instead of going with what you often have is just sort of over the the middle of the field often with play action you pull and then throw it just behind the linebackers that's in fact dangerous against montreal because Dequa's coming in so instead you just stretch that out a little bit and so i want to see play action resulting in seams and sort of um fat posts and uh, high lows that are targeting the uh, boundary side halfback instead, because that's where the role is coming from. That's where they will adjust. That's where the shift is coming, where the boundary side halfback will now sort of assume the safety's responsibilities. So target that halfback with your high low concepts and kind of forget about Dequa as a safety. You treat him more as treat him more as a, as a linebacker because um, that's the level he ends up in so often. So that's the the strategy for me in terms of the passing game. Uh, and for the running attack, I, I, I think you, I think you go with what you, you've got going on so far. They're gonna, they're gonna try and stop it. I think Toronto's plan not to run too much early and then turn to it later probably works in this game as well. I, I wouldn't try to run a lot early on because they're going to be playing just like they did with Winnipeg, where they're trying to take that away early. Uh, and I think that's fine. You know, take what they're giving you. Take that, take that middle of the field deep stuff. Um, and and if they're going to play a lot of cover one, which they did against Winnipeg. Toronto's receivers will beat that most of the time too. So find your matchups. Kelly's great at finding those small windows. So uh, that's what you do. And then you just go with your standard run game. I don't think you need to reinvent the wheel. It's been working. Second half is going to be run heavy for Toronto and they should be able to close it out that way. So that's my offensive plan for the Argos. How are you doing defensively for the Argos? The Argos match up really well with Montreal um, in a lot of ways. Montreal has not been that really that good of an offense. Um, they are very good at deep passing plays. That has been their bed and uh, bread and butter, bed and butter, bread and butter. Um, they they need the, the the passing plays over thirty yards. Uh, they lead the league in it. Uh, it's clearly what, what what has been the most successful, which is not the sign of a great offense, to be honest. Uh, so if I'm Montreal, I'm not that worried about the run. I think. You focus on the run in the first quarter so that the offensive coordinator gives up on the run. So that's just generic CFL advice. And you're looking to allow Fajardo to take that underneath stuff. You play Bendo break with him. Don't allow him, kind of inverse of what you were doing with Adams. Don't allow him to take that deep shot down the sidelines. He he throws a great deep ball. He throws a great sideline ball. Um, absolutely, they have to make sure that if you know what what if they're in zone that the outside zone guy is carrying that slot is carrying that wide receiver down the sideline you can't allow those releases 
um, and then allow somebody to run a fly into a zone. There has to be somebody that goes with that down the field. So I'm I'm on top of that. If if you get an outside release and somebody's going down the sideline, absolutely. Even if you're in zone, somebody has to carry that down the field and then bring the safety over um, to undercut that. So I'm looking for Fajardo to do that. Anytime that you have long yardage, um, I am absolutely bringing heat. Fajardo wants to throw the ball deep. They're they're the number one team in length of play, 10 yards per play. They want to throw the ball. They don't want to nickel and dime you. They want home run balls. Uh, they haven't been great at it, but they want that absolutely bringing heat on any decent down and distance, not allowing enough time to, to get that ball out the sidelines, um, which is what they want to do. So I'm, I'm defending those sidelines and looking for the, the sideline release, especially because Toronto has shown the vulnerability there against BC and, and have shown that they have an issue carrying those, those fly releases down the field. So from a secondary, I'm taking away the deep and, uh, bringing bringing the heat as we know they like to do montreal is last in sacks allowed so i think it's a great matchup you look at the numbers in every way toronto matches up really well they're really good at defending the deep pass they're really good at sacking um they're decent at the run montreal is not that good of a running team not very good at defending the sack so i i like toronto's defensive matchup here i really do i think Keep Fajardo in the pocket. He's surprisingly able to to score some free first downs. I thought they were pretty good with that with Adams um, in terms of keeping lane discipline if they weren't blitzing. But just look for those sideline deep balls. He wants to throw them, you know, go get it, carry that receiver down the field and let the safety do his thing. Uh, Matthew Shinetti asked Winton McManus today uh, where the Argos think the Alouettes have issues on their offensive line. And McManus's answer to that was wherever you see us exploiting on Friday, <laughs> which I thought yeah, was a great, look, they, great they, answer. Yeah, they look, they're they are dead last in sacks allowed. It's you know they've they've given up twenty two sacks, twenty two. Yeah, they've only played four games. Yeah, some of them are on uh, Fajardo. Like, say he's yeah, taking some strange but, paths, mean, but uh, yeah, I know, I know, it's a, it's, a, it's a problem. It yeah, is, it is a it, lot. It is, yeah, it is a problem, and I think you know if you take away that home run ball, um, you know I think you're you're in good shape. They they're not a team that's overwhelming with talent. I'm, I mean they they're well coached, and the fact that they had a shot on that BC game and they're doing really well, I think, is a, a tribute to their coaching staff because it's it's not a team that scares you coming off the bus. What's your one thing for this week? Um, you know, looking statistically, Toronto is doing incredibly well in so many categories, um, really across the board. And, uh, I'm, have made a, a vow to stop complaining about kicking. Um, so for me, I, I would love to see Toronto reduce the number of penalties they have. They are uh, racking up penalties at a pretty high rate. So I would love to see a game where they had six penalties or less to yeah. to try and to try and you know you don't need to be first in everything that's that's not a, a feasible goal but i think you want to try and and not be in the bottom two in in a category and and right now they're they're giving up too many penalties 
Yeah, I agree. And uh, some of them, some of that's a bit misleading because there's only three games in, so it does look no, like. No, of a... course, that's that's kind of the thing with the stats, but something that you know, it's something to be aware of. Yeah, no, for sure. My one thing is I, I want a Curly Gittens Jr. game, and so my one thing is a Curly Gittens Jr. TD. Uh, the teams are really respecting him a lot. Uh, he's getting a lot of uh, he's getting a lot of help to his side and specifically over top of him. Uh, but he needs to break out. He's one of the best receivers in the league. He's the best Canadian receiver in the league, and I want him to look like that this week. So uh, he needs a touchdown this week to assert himself as the guy that uh, he has been over the last two seasons. So Curly Gittens Jr. TD. That is my one thing. So how does this one end, JB? A win or a loss? What's the score? How do you see it? Uh, I like Toronto. I know that's not unusual. Uh, I don't remember the last time I picked against Toronto, to be they, honest. They win a lot. Like, they just won the Great Cup last year. They've been winning divisions. They I, they have a 678 yeah, I mean, win or whatever. They're coming off a bye. They're playing a team who is coming back from the West Coast. They're playing a team that they have more talent than. Uh, I believe Toronto should win this game, and I think they do 24-21. Yeah, and that's a pretty tight score like I have as well. I, I think on paper, Toronto should crush Montreal. Uh, but Montreal has been oddly good this year. And I think like you attributed it to the coaching. I think I think that's certainly part of it. But yeah, they started 2-0. They're on a slide right now, uh, dropping their last two, uh, playing Winnipeg and BC. We'll do that. Like, what a stretch of the <laughs> yeah. schedule. Winnipeg, BC, Toronto. Uh, it's, not, it's not great. Um, so... But they they need this. They need this this game to avoid going from two and zero to now below five hundred. Uh, I think you're going to get everything Montreal has got in this game. And Toronto, while they're better on paper, uh, I think are going to have a, a bit of a slow start. I think it's just I think it's just tough. I think uh, eventually the energy level is going to be the difference here. Montreal is just going to be out of gas, and Toronto will be able to come from behind late. I've got Toronto winning 2018, but I think this is a nail-biter. I think it comes right down to the end, even though really uh, Montreal shouldn't let, um, or sorry, Toronto shouldn't let Montreal uh, really be in this game. I just think it's going to come down to the wire. All right, it's time for Put Me Down for 20. And before we get to Put Me Down for 20, I just want to remind you that while gambling can be a fun way to enhance your sports viewing experience, it's important to do so responsibly. Set a budget, never bet more than you're happy to lose, and certainly uh, don't take our advice very seriously. We, we're having fun with this segment. We hope you do too. But if you or anyone you know develop a gambling problem, you can call the Ontario Problem Gambling Helpline 1-888-230-3505. All right, JB, let's get everyone up to speed here. So I think I, I split last week. I think you were 0-2 last week. And so as it stands, I'm sitting at 246 golden fleeces from my original 200. And you are down to 164 at the moment. So you, yeah, need, a, you Mazzoli, need a bounce back. Yeah, the Mazzoli injury hurt. Yeah, that was that was one that uh, that that actually that crushed both of us because we both had Ottawa on the money line and and losing Mazzoli was was not ideal there. Um, so yeah, what do you have this week for your for your twenty golden fleeces? Uh, yeah, so we we'll go ten. Um, we'll go where non Argos here first. Um, I have Winnipeg uh, covering nine and a half is the spread. I have Winnipeg covering that spread, but the under being 44 and a half. I don't think Ottawa is going to do their bit to to get there. Now, maybe Winnipeg blows the doors off them, but I think Ottawa can still play well defensively. 
So I have the Bombers covering and the under uh, for plus 290. And so that's at a parlay for 10 Golden Fleeces? It is indeed. All right. And then my second one, which is a little less um, aggressive, is uh, anytime touchdown for uh, DeVars Daniels at 115. I think he's due. I think he, he is he is a end zone target. I'd really like to see them um, incorporate that a little more. And, uh, you know, I think he he's somebody who, you know, he did score against BC, but is, you know, should be the star of the team. He should be their number one wide receiver. And so I would like to see that uh, happen. For my 20 golden fleeces, uh, my non-Argos bet I'll do first. And this is also going to be a parlay for me. So I've got the Calgary-Saskatchewan over, which is at 44 and a half, uh, combined with Winnipeg minus nine and a half, just like you have there. Uh, so, and that is at, that's plus 260. So I'll put 10 golden fleeces on that. And my 10 golden fleeces for the Toronto game, uh, I'm 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 putting it on the Toronto defense to keep Austin Mack under 71 and a half yards. Uh, he's he's been their main target. He's a, he's actually a pretty good looking receiver. A lot of his damage has come on deep balls. I feel like there has to have been just like you said in in OCDC that has to have been a priority this week. And so I I want to take Austin Mack for under 71 and a half yards uh, at minus 114 for that. All right, JB, it is time for our CFL picks. Uh, we both were three and one last week. What kept us from being four and one was Dustin Crum being a yard and a half away from the Hamilton end zone, which could have changed things. But yeah, losing Jeremiah Masoli completely changed that game and changed Ottawa's season as well. Um, but yeah, we were three and one last week. Um, our records, I think, are even. Yes, we're both at twelve and seven on the year, so uh, respectable, respectable records. Yeah, not bad. So, first one, we got Hamilton at Edmonton. I will go first. I have got the Edmonton Elks. I believe the streak comes to an end oh, wow. tomorrow. JB, the, it's the Achimpong effect. The Achimpong effect. He's going to get in there. I don't even know if he's. I don't even know if he's dressing yet. But yeah, he he may not contribute to it, but. The Elks are going to win one at home and the streak. And finally, we can stop talking about it every time the Elks play at home. Yeah, they definitely looked uh, much uh, spunkier than I expected them to against Saskatchewan. I thought they were going to get the doors blown off them. Um, but I don't think that builds to the next game. I think the, the the bad mojo that they feel when they walk into that stadium is real. And I don't think they're going to exercise it this week against a Hamilton team that is feeling pretty good and probably has enough talent to get the job done. So I have Hamilton. It's got to be soon for Edmonton. That's the thing. Like they're they're backed up. Like after this after this Hamilton game uh, for Edmonton, they go through just a heck of a gauntlet. But where they do you know what happens too? Though of course, what really happens, which is really unfortunate, it's like um, you know to use a hockey analogy. If you don't have a good power play, teams will then scheme and play you way more aggressively than they do other teams. And so now your not very good power play is even worse. Because you're facing defenses that they probably could use against good power plays, but they don't risk. So you've you end up facing way more pressure than even the good power plays do. And Edmonton, unfortunately, nobody wants to be the team 
that finally lets Edmonton off the hook. So, you know, that extra juice is real and that becomes hard to, uh, hard to overcome. All right. So you have the Tiger Cats. Uh, I have the Elks. Um, Toronto Montreal is the second game. We both have Toronto for that one. Winnipeg and Ottawa. I think, I think Winnipeg is going to just blast them. Um, yeah. I don't, yeah, I feel bad. I thought Ottawa was really going to make a move and kind of be our number one competitor in the East. Uh, but I don't think that's the case. And I think Winnipeg is is going to start flexing their muscles here for a little while. Thank, yeah. thank God Winnipeg is not coming to Halifax. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. I'm just as happy about that, too. Uh, yeah, Ottawa, just they don't have a quarterback right now. Dustin Crum is no. fine. But like the, the worst thing that happened to them, if Dustin Crum had to play, you would think you would hope that it would happen like late in the fourth quarter. So Edmonton didn't have all this film they can use, but they're going to they're going to shut him down. Crumb was really having trouble finding guys early in routes and yeah, uh, went to the run be, too much. That's going to be a tough that's going to be a tough road for Ottawa. And and a team knows that, you know, um, I think they're going to rally early for sure. But it's going to be hard to keep that keep that spirit up in Winnipeg. And then Calgary. Oh, no, they're home. They're home. Yeah, no, it is at Ottawa. But but they've again, broken the streak. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I don't know. I don't no. see it. I don't think Crum is the guy yet. Either. Maybe I, down the I road, have, but this I, is yeah, tough. I thought they were on the road. That's where I thought. Yeah, maybe they're a little spunkier at home. And by the way, I I I would love to know how happy it made Chris Jones that you called Edmonton spunky. I think uh, I think he would appreciate that yeah. compliment. Well, I thought they I thought that they did, and then uh, you know, right on cue, as you predicted. Uh, they poured the gasoline over their head and, oh, God, Edmonton, <laughs> just to find the worst possible way to lose a football game. That's If we are in a another press conference with Chris Jones, you have to you have to say that. Uh, so, Coach, I thought you guys looked pretty spunky out there today. No, there's, there's no <laughs> chance I would ever ask Coach that. The, the beauty of the uh, the old podcast. So yeah, Calgary... so I, like, I like Winnipeg to win there, too, in, in Ottawa. Calgary at Saskatchewan. Um, I've got Saskatchewan here. This was the toughest one for me. Yeah, Calgary needs to win. They need to win this game. I just don't think they've got the better quarterback play. I don't think Mayer is, is better. Harris is, is playing well, despite what people say. I actually think he's playing smart. I know he didn't put up a lot of points against Edmonton. I didn't put that on him. I actually thought he played pretty good football for the most part, but... Um, Calgary is not getting that from their quarterback position. I think Saskatchewan in Saskatchewan is always tough. This is a, a rivalry game too. And and the the Rough Riders, Elks aside, are playing decent football. So I think they, they win it. Yeah, I don't know what to do with either of these teams. Um, you know, I just, they're both very difficult to figure out. Uh, I went Saskatchewan here at home too. I think they have the better quarterback. Uh, this is going to be my, yeah, this is going to be my determining game. Whichever team loses here, I am never going to support again. So <laughs> let's see what happens. You say that, but then in, like we do this every week, right? No, like I said that no, about Edmonton I, 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 and I will Ottawa. I never pick the Elks and I will never pick whomever loses this game. Until they play the Elks. Until they play the Elks. <laughs> Correct. 
Well, uh, that will just about do it for us on this pregame walkthrough edition of the X's and Argos podcast. Before we sign off, a, a quick shout out to the Argos fan cast because they did take us down in fantasy last week. It was a close one, a nail biter. We, we chose the wrong captain and we won't make that mistake twice. <laughs> So that, uh, yeah, that will do it for us. Uh, game is Friday night, of course, uh, in Montreal. Um, if you are, if you're watching the game on TSN, you can also listen to Mike Hogan and I on TSN 1050. Uh, sync it up with your TV and listen to us as you follow along on the TV to get an Argo specific broadcast. For JB, this is Ben Grant saying so long and may all your pre snap reads be good ones. I'll see ya. <laughs> Together fight the foe.